0: Hello and welcome to In Tune, Scottish Music Centre series of podcasts. My name is Keith Petey and today I am delighted to have my friend and yours, singer-songwriter Finlay Napier.
1: How are you doing, Finlay? I'm doing great, thanks for having me on the podcast. Great,
0: great to hear from you. So, starting out, you were a traditional folk singer, is that right? Is that how you started out in music?
1: Yeah, I... um... I went to a thing called Face Spay. My mum was part of setting that up, and that would have been back in 1990, I think, was maybe the first Face Spay. Um, and I went to that, uh, and I learned my first couple of guitar chords. But um, prior to that, there'd been like aborted attempts at teaching me piano and things like that. Um, and I think my mum had kind of given up on me, but playing music, and then along came the fish and i just got really into playing music and my i don't sung a bit beforehand you know like oh, those awful music festival things that they, they make children do you know dress up in your school uniform and sing some god-awful songs mm-hmm. um like rubbish Alan jones so i'd done that which is enough to but enough to put you off music for life actually it's not enjoyable i it, it was not my thing um but the great thing about the face was that i think i learned my first three guitar chords um g d and a um and that was me kind of off and i started singing a little bit i had a really great music teacher at school a woman called christine jackson um and she was incredibly encouraging as well um and how, well, there was a school folk band. Uh, there was the fish once a year. There were whatever extra fish workshops that were going on throughout the year. Um, yeah, and I, I was I was very lucky. I was I was very well supported, and also my mum would go and play at um, traditional music festivals like the TMSA festival in Keith. And th- through that, well, I guess what I found out was that music wasn't about sitting in a room. Um, bashing away at a piano, playing music you don't like. It was people sharing, people sharing music, people enjoying themselves, having fun. Um, you know, talking a load of nonsense mm-hmm. and hanging out. And that, and I realised that that was the thing that that drew me to it. Um, and in fact, my mum made an album in the kind of mid nineties um, up at Phil Cunningham's studio when he had a studio uh, up near Bewley and uh, I remember going up, and it was like my first time in a recording studio, and I don't know if you've met Phil Cunningham, but it was just nonsense. Like for two days, there was just utter nonsense, and stuff was happening. Things were being recorded, but it was just nonsense. And I was like, this is is amazing. (laughs) This is a job. (laughs) Like you get to hang out, talk a load of old toot, play guitars, sing songs and stuff, and that was, you know, I was in. Um, I was lucky sort of later as the face... Sort of grew. I met a guy called Jim Hunter, who teaches guitar now up in um, up in Malig and and around Lochaber. We, teach, I'm, I'm sure he was a Music Plus tutor or a mentor. Yeah, well, he was, kind of became my mentor. Um, and I mean, his classic thing was we're sitting at a face after a lesson, and I'm playing through my guitar chords, and he was like, "Have you written a song?" And I was like, "No." He said, I should write a song. And then next time I saw him, he was like, have you written a song? And I was like, yeah, (laughs) four. And he was like, all right, play me one. And I sort of started going through these songs. And he was like, "Um, you need a better guitar. Your guitar's crap, which was true. You need a better guitar and you need, uh, um, you should come to my house. I bought this record digital, one of those all-in-one digital recording studios. Uh, Workstation. Yeah, like one of them. So I went up to his house, me and my mate Graham Anderson, and we recorded four songs that I'd written, and yeah, I didn't, really, I didn't really look back after that. And, of course, you could submit the songs. I don't know if you could still do this, but at the time I was doing music, CSYS, English, and... Oh, no, maybe I can't remember. Anyway, I was doing some kind of hires or something, and I submitted the lyrics of my songs mm-hmm. for one thing. I submitted the artwork for another thing, and I submitted the... um <laughs> And I submitted the music and lyrics together for my music portfolio. Yeah. So basically, you write a song, yeah. compile it into an album, do the artwork, and that is like that was. Th- I covered a whole ah, load of th- a
0: whole package. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And the
1: joke is, of course, that's kind of what I do now.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know
1: what I mean? It's really weird. It's kind of I've just taken that up up a level, you know. And I'm but. I, it was it was very useful. I mean, like I'm no I'm no artist or designer at all, um, but but yeah, I I, I kind of I, obviously I'm I'm a songwriter now and I, yeah. I release my own records. So it was like a it was like a, a I actually did something at school that that lined up with my real life <laughs> I, you know, outside of school. Kind of kind of mad, yeah.
0: Um, and if, coming from that, from that was like primary school leading into secondary school i'm guessing then uh, i remember a trip going through blair Athol with you in a car and uh and you mentioned which what could have been your first band or one of your bands with a beautiful name
1: is it oh Dun- yeah Amp donkey uh, yeah. <laughs> that donkey car is finest yeah <laughs> um so tell us about that that was the first band so that was kind of well, and that was amazing we went up to there was the face had identified the fact that they were losing teenagers. So they got people from sort of, I don't know, eight years old up to about 12. And then the numbers just dropped, you know, and that was fine. But what's happened to these people that are kind of, you know, the because the, it's open to 18 year olds. I think it still is. Um so what's happened to the 14 to 18-year-olds? Where have they gone? Why aren't they engaging with this anymore? So they organized this space um, in Fort William. Um, I mean, the people that were at that space, it's ridiculous. You know, utterly ridiculous. Uh, I, met, I think I met Rachel Walker there. I met um, Andrew Stevenson. I shared a room with Angus McPhail, who's now Skipanish. ish uh, Well, Andrew and Angus are Skipanish. I can't remember who else was there. I met this guy called Martin McDonald who I hit it off with and Graham uh, Anderson, who was at school with a brilliant electric guitar player. He plays with various bands down in Devon and Cornwall now, um, plays mandolin and, and banjo and obviously a brilliant electric guitar player. Um, Graham called me up about two weeks later and said, I think we should start a band. In fact, that was the first time that I ever sang in public to anybody. Right. Um, And the tutors were Ishbal McCaskill, Jim Hunter, and Doogie Pincock of Centre for Excellence in Traditional Music. And I just remember Doogie, like, we were put into duos, and I was in a duo with this guy, Martin McDonald, and I just remember, like, the chord on Martin's guitar ringing out in absolute silence and thinking, oh dear, like, that was (laughs) awful, it was so bad. And then Doogie Pincock going, never play the Baran again. I was playing. (laughs) never play and that so that was you know and then everyone started clapping and it was like uh, and then Jim Hunter was like you need to learn more chords on the guitar so you don't have to have a guitar player um oh it was brilliant and that was a real confidence boost yeah
0: um
1: I think at that you know the combination of that hanging out up at Phil's um you know and that was probably my undoing right do you know what I mean? It was like you're finished. you'll never have a proper job. you your school. Yeah.
0: So the, from from that, then you moved down the road. You moved. What sort of sparked that? It
1: was funny. My uh, I applied for all kinds of different things at university, um, and then my music teacher, who was also a, a one of these what do you call the teachers that help you again help you choose what you're uh, doing at university, guidance teachers. teacher. My guidance teacher had failed to tell me, you know, despite the fact I was probably the only traditional Scots singer that had ever been at that school, failed to tell me that there was a degree in traditional Scots song at at the at the RCS. Luckily, my music teacher picked up on it and said "Um, you should apply for this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did, and I got in, and I was in the first year of the. um, It's now the RCS. It was the RSAMD at the time. I was in the first year of their folk degree which at that time was a BA in Scottish music it didn't even have an honours I didn't get an honours until after I left right. um <laughs> I don't think I would got into honours anyway uh, um I so I came down to Glasgow for that so I moved from the banks of the river to the 14th floor of the Red Road Flats in Springburn which was quite a culture shock. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you that. What was that like? Totally. Down? What was that like? It was so exciting. It was so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I was really, really excited about it. It was really, I was, I was really happy to be in Glasgow. I mean, I guess that probably did wear off eventually. Um, but it, I met a lot of brilliant, brilliant people. I made a lot of great friends, and um, yeah, it's. It, it, it was great. It was great being in Glasgow, and it was great being surrounded by. And as the as the traditional music degree continued, you know, like year one, there were ten of us, and it felt like there was ten of us against the whole classical music department. I mean, and it really did feel like there was a kind of not not the students on that, but, but I mean, there was there was definitely a bit of we'd stolen ten chairs out of the orchestra, and then twenty chairs and then year three, thirty chairs. You know what I mean? So it was get it was a bit like mm. um yeah. you could tell that there was that going on and there was things like this being mentioned. Um but, you know, I think everybody in my year went on to, to a career in music in some way. And that's from um you know, high school music teachers to um to professional musicians and kind of everything in between. I don't really know I don't really know if there's anybody that, that didn't go on to do Maybe one person out of that is amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. I think there's only one person out of the ten people in first year that although they just still play music. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. not like they stop. So I think that's quite I think that's quite impressive. Um you know, and everybody kinda ended up doing a mix a lot of people ended up doing a mixture of of, and performing. Um and that you know like for me that that balance changes year to year some years there's like loads of performing some years there's loads of teaching um and i guess that that kind of is is an echo of of what happened to me mm-hmm. when i was a teenager you know like the, the people that i worked with were were professional musicians that taught jim hunter was the kind of the the support act for Runrig and various other bands that were touring through germany and holland and denmark i mean huge tours yeah. um you know, it like, might not be a household name in the UK, but these were, in Europe, those were massive tours in the sort of the, the late 80s and early 90s with, you know, three Arctic lorries and thousands of people. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like a oh, run rig never heard of them. And it's like, well, you know, might not be a, a big act in the UK, but abroad, massive and we're going on holiday in Germany and driving into the time we were staying in and there was a, a double billboard for our own Rick tour. Wow. It's being like, what? <laughs> a double, I mean, it's like a double billboard.
0: <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. It's like, oh, bloody hell. Like a Hollywood movie? But, yeah, and it's funny because
1: you're, I, I, I think even now my um, my like perception of, of I still get, get tricked by the music press or like the the media surrounding music and it's like there's loads of people making a great wee living you know mm-hmm. yeah. maybe earning as much money as a primary school teacher or a bit more you've got a mortgage and a car and you can go on holiday a couple of times a year you know or abroad once a year but maybe you can afford a, a holiday at home you know there's a lot of people that do that yeah. Yeah. and then there's these bands and they're like never do anything in the uk and they're massive <laughs> in like germany or whatever okay, when we had back we we focused kind of on that uh, we kind of focused on canada north america but old blind dogs did were doing really well but not in the whole of them like they were like west coast they're like a california <laughs> yeah they do and that was their big market you know and Right. In huge festivals, you know, like what was Ali saying the other day? They were, Ali play, Hutton plays Pipes for them, but they did a gig with, them. was it Booker T? Wow. I think it was Booker T. Really? You know, so it was like, and dogs and Booker T and yeah. the MG. <laughs> I think it was Booker T. You know, it's just like, you know, it's just like, you know, if you if you believe the sort of, the, 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 the somewhat cynical, you know, local yeah. music press, you'd think that... um You'd think that sort of folk music was dead and you'd think that there was only young indie bands or whatever. Um, and I get that because you know, that's, oh, that's traditionally how that, 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 that press has worked. But it's it's fascinating how, um, oh God, there was a singer-songwriter from Down in the Borders as well who tours, I can't remember his name, unbelievable. Like he's been gigging for years. Probably wouldn't get arrested in Scotland, but you know, out in, out in Europe, yeah. it's just like constant. And he's like a fisherman. He goes away for a couple of months into europe comes back hangs out in scotland for a couple of months and then off he goes again
0: <laughs> i'm glad you mentioned back in the moon because i had sort of met you just after probably all that it was i remember you just the early days of barry mountaineers so uh-huh. i wonder if you could just go through some of the, the projects like from the back of the moon barry mountaineers the shake the chains thing and then some of the stuff with chris sherburne and even now the new stuff with megan
1: so Back of the Moon was the first proper band, and we did three albums. There was a record company called Footstomping Records that released our albums, and we toured um, North America and Canada and in Europe. We did a bit of work in the UK, not a, not an enormous amount. We never really, we never really, we never really broke England when we were do, we were gigging in Scotland. I wouldn't even say we broke Scotland, but we were we were doing all right in North America, and keeping our heads above water. And that band finished up in 2006 or 2007. In fact, our last gig was the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. on the wow. 21st of November. Nice. I remember it was quite a, quite emotional, quite an emotional <laughs> thing. It's like, this is like, we can be doing more of this. No, no, we're done. Sorry. It's so emotional, I, I threw my plate on the floor. Um, I'm not bitter about it, though. Um, but I, we'd recorded... Fortunes Road and Luminosity at Watercolour Music in our gower with Nick Turner. And um, Nick Turner's an absolutely wonderful guy, so good to work with. And he'd said, are you still writing songs? Because years ago, I'd won a songwriting competition and Nick had recorded the song. And I said, no, man, I've not really written songs for ages. And he said, have you tried co-writing? And I was like, no, not really. But I was kind of up for co-writing. Anyway, went up to Nick's, drank loads of coffee, opened a bottle of wine, and by the end of the first night, we'd written three songs. By the end of the two writing days, we'd written like six or seven songs. Um, just unbelievable, like really high workflow. And every time we got together, we'd write loads. And we just worked really well together. The co-writing thing suited both of us. Um, Nick's not really a singer. He doesn't, not really, doesn't really like singing. So I kind of became his voice. Um, Queen Anne's Revenge never, ever, I think, what did one live gig in its entire existence. Um, but really it was... A, um, the Barroom Mountaineers, after Back of the Moon, the Barroom, Finlay Napier and the Barroom Mountaineers became the kind of live thing for that, um, for the for the songs that Nick and I were writing. And we did one album ourselves at Grand's studio. In fact, I think we might be the first band to record Angus Lyon's mm-hmm. studio in bigger. And then... I was finding it increasingly hard to get up to what to watercolor to write with Nick, and and when my daughter was born, Lucy, um, I would had this great conversation with Simon Toomey, um, who works for Hands Up for Trad, and he said, you know, and it was quite funny. He goes to me, so Gillian was pregnant, and I was teaching a thing he was doing down at Weston Lodge, and he goes, so fine line, what what plans for the future? And honestly, I just put my head in my hands and I was like, I don't have a effing clue and i was i was literally at my wits end i have i have no idea i have nothing in the diary i need to make a new album i can't make a new album because i don't have any money um no one has any money to make another album um or for pay me to make another album i don't know what to do um i had a bunch of songs with nick and that was it. And he was said, ah, create, Scotland, I've got this uh, mid-career mentoring funding. Jenna Reid's applied for it. She's got it. She's doing this. And I was like, right, let's go for it. Simon helped me. Simon and, and, and Percy, who he works with, they helped me. And oh, man, it was brilliant. So I tried various people. Funnily enough, the first person I tried to get was this bloke I met called Kieran Cribbon. Um, it's Irish singer songwriter and i really loved his I, I just hit it off for the first time i met him yeah. and i thought he'd be a really interesting person to write with and he was doing top line stuff for um for various people and i loved the idea of that in fact it's totally up my street kind of kind of what i did quite a lot with nick where we would he would have like a really cool chord progression and i would come up with a melody and he would go oh maybe try doing this try doing that and we would form a melody and as we were doing that we'd write the lyrics together so I thought oh this is great, I'd love to try that yeah. um, and Kieran had all these things and he was a pretty decent teacher, he had loads of great ideas, anyway he called me up and said listen I'm not going to be able to do it <laughs> I can't tell you why I was like alright okay cool. um, but listen and he, he really apologetic and I was like mate you know stuff happens it's totally fine, thank you so much anyway he'd been headhunted by an excess oh, yeah. <laughs> He's, he's now the lead singer of NXS. <laughs> so amazing. And I was like, oh, man, that's like... For him, that was like a dream come true. He was like his band. He absolutely loved them. So he was like the fan that became the lead singer. And he's the lead singer and the lead songwriter for them. So just... A, it's, it's incredible. Really incredible. So, like, you know, it's that way where you're like, man, that's amazing. Well, you've, you've missed out because you could have been working with me, writing a wee folk songs.
0: <laughs>
1: anyway, so that was good. Um That was well it was good but it was a shame Um, and I kept thinking like who should I work with who should I work with and I was talking to Gillian and she was like well what is you know who do you see on the scene that you would like to be doing the same kind of thing as I said I've always loved Boo Hewardine's songs and everyone sings his songs and you know he works with any reader and I I just really like what he's doing um, at gig and it was just like it was the best thing ever like he was such a good live performer and she was like why don't you contact him and I was like why haven't I contacted him already? Mm-hmm. He was like, that is exactly what I'm aiming for. Like, that is exactly what I'm aiming for. Um, and maybe he would help me. Plus, uh, because I'd done so much teaching, there are a lot of people who are fantastic at like, as, as live performers and dreadful, dreadful teachers. Mm-hmm. But I knew that Boo had been doing lots of teaching and I'd, I'd heard sort of secondhand hand that his, he was excellent at teaching so I thought this is even better like not only is this someone doing what I want to do but they can also like they can also teach they can impart knowledge anyway uh, I got the funding from Creative Scotland went down to Ely in Cambridgeshire um, hooked up with Boo the first night and we wrote after the last bell rings a song called Faye and Hedy Lamarr was the lead track from the first track on VIP. VIP yep. That was that was the first night. Um, oh. There was one time he came up he was up doing an Eddie tour, and he came and sat with me one afternoon. Um, carried a de helped carry a desk up the stairs to my flat, and then we wrote <laughs> Man Who Sold New York," "Shame About George," "Rising Sun." No, we wrote five songs that afternoon. That's brilliant. Like like half of half of oh, VIP the album. Yeah, amazing. Got written. Yeah, so it was amazing. Like It was quite clear straight away that we worked together really, really well and continue to do so. And he's actually moved just around the corner from me. Sure. Um, pointing like literally just
0: mm-hmm. over there.
1: Amazing. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> I'm pointing, which is rubbish on this podcast, but yeah. he does live two minutes from my house now. So, um, Yeah, so it's really a really great thing. And um, and it led to all kinds of amazing stuff, like supporting Eddie Peter on her UK tour. Yeah. I remember one of my pals laughing, saying, "Go, oh, you're going to go and play? You're going to go and do that? Are you You'll be playing to all these old people? <laughs> and <laughs> I was, I was, and it was really funny because it was fantastic because I'm, you know, I'm a folk singer. I'm used to playing mm-hmm. folk clubs, but, you know, those old people, they don't like Spotify. They like buying CDs. That's right. Mm-hmm. They like chatting like buying cds and i was selling an awful lot of merchandise every night a lot of merchandise Um, in fact part of the deal part of the deal was that i would sell eddie's merch and my merch and i cottoned on to the fact very quickly that if i was to hang around at the start of the concert as people were coming in folk would come up to the table because they'd have no one to to be hanging about and they'd be like oh who's the support act and i would be like it's this handsome gentleman here." And then they'd be like, "Is he any good?" And I'd be like, "He will change your life." And then they'd be like, "Wait a minute, it's you!" And I'd be like, "Yeah." <laughs> so and like, I'd be doing that with everyone coming in. And the amount of like little gigs and stuff that I got out of doing that, and that, little gigs some big gigs I got out of doing that, just by being at the merch table talking all the nonsense and hanging out, uh, was amazing. Mm-hmm. Plus, I sold loads of CDs, and people would literally go, "Oh, well, we would better buy one of yours as well, then." And it'd be like, "Oh, nice. thanks very much." Excellent. Um, and it, it was a it was a lesson in, in maths, though. I'll tell you, it was mm-hmm. scary selling someone else's CDs. <laughs> really oh, scary, especially a huge catalogue. You're like, I remember thinking that I'd lost 120 quid of Reader's money on like the second night, and thought Eddie Reader is going to kill me. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It's going to come round with a baseball bat and break my legs. <laughs> I hadn't. Oh, I just. Boy. I was rubbish at maths. I figured out that I hadn't. But I was like, "Oh, how have I done this? How have I lost 120 quid? Hardly slept." Easy. <laughs> <laughs> From working with Boo on VIP, I went on to make the Glasgow album, and that's kind of. I guess I would say that's like my kind of main thing now. Is 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 the solo one man on a guitar. I did a stand up comedy course um, as well in the middle of that at Strathclyde, an, an evening class, which was really, really helpful for giving me like confidence with being the one person with the guitar and stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, that, you can either just be like shoegaze, mm-hmm. stare at your feet, sing songs, or you can kind of go, Well, I can make this more entertaining. and figure out bits that happen in between songs or like and make it into a show and and um, the stand-up course was really helpful with that really really helpful and i think if you know i know this is for music plus but i think if anyone is is listening if you if you want to tighten up your performance then there is no better way than doing that it was 120 quid for an amazing course and it, yeah, it, it's one of the best things I've ever done. The, like, the kind of confidence that it gave me and the, the sort of tools and stuff that it gave me was incredible.
0: I was going to ask you about that. I was going to say, like, is, it, is that something we're going to see
1: again? Is, is your comedy career? <laughs> well, maybe one time. Well, that's the like back to school today, eh? Maybe I'll have time to work on it. It takes quite a lot of time. And actually, the thing that I didn't realise is that um, getting stage time is brutal in yeah. glasgow brutal you know uh and then i would find myself like i did i was asked do the red raw at the stand in edinburgh and it was like i had to get all the way through to edinburgh and do and hang about and do all the things that i normally do for a gig but it wasn't paid and it was five minutes Whoa. five terrifying minutes that felt like 245 minutes because that's how stressful and full on it is five minutes is a long time when you don't have a guitar you know but we've done you know when you work something up and then you see how it works in the room it's really interesting but I like uh yeah it's a really it's a really tough gig you know Ooh. anybody that, that makes it through an awful 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 lot of free work huge amount of free work and giving up loads of evenings uh I, um i wish i'd had the 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 to do it when i was a before i had kids actually because i think if i had done that it would have really really made um it would, it would have been great because i actually could have had a i could have had a proper go at it rather than a, a real sort of dip of my toe in the water is really yeah. all i did i think um, yeah. it was so much fun i met some brilliant people like um the hanging out talking a load of old toot was next level <laughs> so, to see
0: um, see from from having lucy like how did that Lucy Ann, now Flory the dog, how has that sort of changed the way you manage your work? Like as a musician, touring musician, teacher, recording artist, how has that that impacted what you do?
1: The first thing that happened really was that I started saying no to things a lot more, Mm -hmm. um, where I would have just said yes. Um, I started looking at how much money I was being paid um, for things and going, no, that's not worth it. And people say, "Oh, yeah, you should come. You should go and play this festival. You should go and play that festival and stuff like that." And there was festivals we'd be in touch and they'd say, "We'll give you twenty quid. You know, come and play on this stage at this time." And I would just be like, "I'm really sorry, but I can't. I, 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 you know, exposure is not going to buy those nappies. (laughs) No chance. (laughs) chance. Like exposure is not going to pay my mortgage. It's not going to put diesel in my car. So unless you can put diesel in my car." Um, and make me not, you know make me a reasonable offer. I'm kind of afraid I can't leave the house. I just can't. Like and that's the funny thing is because you feel guilty about it. And then it's like, no, no, I need looked after properly. Like I'm I'm an old man. <laughs> so that's true. I, and I've got people, you know, I've got people looking you know looking out for me and mm-hmm. that rely on me. Yeah. So I can't be giving up two days of my life sixty quids worth of diesel um for for no money, and um, so yeah, there would be things like festivals and wee gigs and um, teaching commitments and things like that where I just had to say, I'm sorry, but like I've done the maths and uh, this just is, isn't worth it. Um, yeah, and that's you know I, I probably didn't make myself any friends being like that, and I probably it may, it may have it may have impacted my career. But I don't know. There's just. Mm-hmm. I don't see... And also as well, I feel very strongly that that some festivals have loads and loads of acts on the bill yeah. and only the people on the top of the bill are being paid and a lot of people are doing it for free. And I'm like, I'm not really entirely sure how comfortable I am with that. From a moral point of view, mm-hmm. you know, like the punters are paying £80 a head yeah. to get in or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I if there's 2,000 people here, what if you gave me a pound of their 80 quid? What if you gave me 50p of their 80 quid? Sure. Um, what if you gave, you know, uh, you, when you start to think like that, you're a bit like, yeah, man, mm-hmm. I, I would take 50p p ahead. Or maybe I'm not the right act for your festival. Maybe you need to, you know, maybe you need to rethink that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I, I should say as well, and and you know to again for the kind of music plus people value yourself because sometimes they just never got back to me, but sometimes they got back to me and they said, "Okay, here is we'll just give you what you've asked for."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There was no that the negotiation was I can't do it for that money. This is how much it will cost, and they just went, "Cool, here you go." Yeah, uh, and they they weren't annoyed or anything. Mm-hmm they were just sort of trying to get me cheaper yeah because that's where you value yourself at yep yeah so so like i could i could have done that gig for 50 quid and instead i got you know 400 or something yeah which and and the joke is of course, in the grand scheme of festivals that's nothing mm-hmm. it's true. you know and i i really like the sort of the the musicians union has a brilliant thing where it's like a flow chart like should i work for free And it's a really good tool and you can use that. And if you use that, honestly, you start turning down gigs. Um, uh, And I think if everybody used it, honestly, uh, I think people would, I think people's pay across the board would rise. Yeah. You know, like, I think there's, you know, if I look back when I was maybe 20 in my early twenties, there are gigs where I was not worth more than a hundred quid. (laughs) <laughs> do you know what I mean
0: like I completely like I, I
1: completely agree with that statement that was not worth a hundred quid of your money you know uh I, I maybe had too much to drink um and my performance wasn't as good as it could be but now I'm like I'm worth quite a lot more than that because um, I've invested in myself um and Creative Scotland have invested in me so I need to I need to kind of recoup on their investments. I need to deliver. In fact, my pal came out with a really good one the other day where he was like, a friend of his set up a sandwich shop, and he was saying, like, do you have any idea how much it costs to set up a sandwich shop? Thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds. And it's like, you know, and you hear of people saying, oh, well, I can't really afford to buy a good guitar. You know, I'll just keep playing this crappy guitar that sounds terrible through a PA system. And it's like the man on the road that's running the little sandwich shop has spent 8 grand on a kitchen. You can afford to spend 2 grand on a guitar which will last you 15 years if it's a really good one. Um and will up the production value of your show because you will sound better and look better. Um, and when you go in the studio, you will make a better recording in the studio because what you're putting in front of the microphone makes a better sound. Um, and I have been very guilty of not thinking that way, like investing in um, investing in my business um, and taking that seriously. It's taken me a long time to figure that out I mean I know I sound like a cold money man now um I was once accused of that by a crazy person of being a money-grabbing um business head but actually unfortunately if you're like me and you're a kind of sole trader you you do have to be able to have that head switched on and I've spent an awful lot of my life sort of trying to run away from that Mm -hmm. um and I, I and I think, unfortunately, that, you know, if you're a one-man show like I am, then you need to be thinking about that and you need to be thinking, like, I didn't have a five-year plan until two years ago and I'm <laughs> four-two. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, uh, how did you, how, like, no wonder things have been difficult. <laughs> You've not had no game plan. Back just to like, maths.
0: Whoa. Back to that maths lesson. A Five-year plan in yeah, two that, years.
1: Yeah, it's just like, yeah, you, need, you, you, you kind of do need that rough, yeah. A rough rough outline of what I'm going to do with this album here. Oh, I'm releasing two albums in the same month. Well, that's a total waste of time. You know, it's like, um, like where is everything? If you look at your releases, where are all the releases? This single happens here. So maybe an EP a couple of months after that. Maybe another single. Maybe where do I put out the, the You know, where's this album going to land? Yeah. We did quite an interesting thing with that ledger project that I'm doing with my wife. You can probably hear her playing fiddle in the background. Uh-huh. And we didn't put it on Spotify when we released the record. So only half of it is on Spotify as five singles. And and then it'll be released, I think it's on the 11th of November, it comes out. It'll be its official release on streaming services. um, Because I began to feel quite uncomfortable about Mm -hmm. spending, I can't remember how much it costs, but quite a lot of money. On making an album, and then not making any of it back, like any of it back, yeah. not you know, and people are like, "Oh yeah, but you make money back from gigs." well we're in lockdown, oh. can't make money really make money back from from gigs, and you need to do quite a lot of gigs. If you have to pay people, you need to do quite a lot of gigs yeah. to make it back. And I was kind of like, "Why can't we make albums by by selling records or having people like contribute something?" Um, so I, I i've been using bandcamp and it's amazing the the response to that and just being absolutely upfront with people as well and saying look i'm quite tight-fisted <laughs> <laughs> um and I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna ask the the people that really want it i'm gonna have to ask you to pay for it sure. um, and you if any if you want it for free you're just gonna have to wait six months and it's done great <laughs> it worked brilliantly it really did work brilliantly um and I would encourage anyone to do it. Can you? There was a. I remember being at a kind of music conference and them saying, "Oh, it'll, that'll never work. That idea. That's a silly idea." <laughs> well, it worked. And if everybody else did it, it would work even better. Yeah. Um, and the nice thing was that people would um, would be like looking forward to it on Spotify. But what I thought I'd do is I would just buy it on Bandcamp because I love it.
0: Yeah. Um, I think as well, you've been quite a good champion of that. Like I remember it even which album it was but it was like the very first actually the very first crowdfunding thing that I actually paid into one of your albums and I think it is that thing where you know if someone you love as an artist if you can in some way contribute to that product being made or that piece of art being made of course you're going to contribute to it because otherwise it won't get made and being a fan of somebody's music you can actually be a person that's going to support that piece of art getting made people will always do it um, you've been a big champion that even now through lockdown you've been quite good on Patreon I've seen you've been doing that and yeah the well.
1: Patreon's been really nice in fact the Patreon has has been incredible my friend Rebecca Lobby, um from Austin I made an EP with Rebecca but she gives stuff away on her her Patreon What well, people pay every month you know um, and it's like it's brilliant it's just like people buy you a coffee once a month and then you send them something to listen to or to look at or um taking over a a, uh the old coyote studio where i made vip um along with boo hewardine chris drever and ewan burton so the four of us have taken over that space um so we've got somewhere we can go and work um and I couldn't have been able to do to afford that, but because of Patreon, I can afford that. I can afford to have somebody mix and master my songs as well, which is amazing. Um, and then when it's finished, I'll be able to release that. The people on Patreon will get it for free, and um, everybody else will pay for it. But it's already paid for, so that I'm kind of I'm kind of in profit um, instantly. And then it's okay to put it on Spotify because I don't need to recoup any money. It's all kind of, it's all been paid for already. And that's a a unique situation to be in and a very exciting place for me because I'm always worried about finding time to to write. And now I have a place that I pay for. So I have to go there to make it worthwhile having that place. Um, And, you know, it's like, what's the the best way to to write a song? Sit down and write a song!
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. That's the same thing. If you invest in something, that like you're talking about investing in your room and, and that encourages you to go and write in it. And it's the same with the guitar. Like if you invest in something you love to play, you're more likely to pick it up and play it, you know, rather than sit there. If it's oh totally.
1: Yeah. And also, you know, a lot of these a lot of the great a lot of the great guitar makers as well, you know, you can pay in instalments anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you have to find huge amounts of cash. Yeah. You can actually just pay it up. Just like just like the guy with the sandwich shop That's paying for right. his kitchen. That's right. <laughs> I was going to say, someone must tell me, you know, like, how, how do you afford to make a record? And, um, you know, talking about trying to get funding for it and all that kind of stuff. And so you write a business plan and you take it to the bank <laughs> and they give you a loan, right? That's right? And then you just pay it up bit by bit. And you'll never believe this. I made a whole record and I paid it all off. I looked through and went, yeah, that looks sound. How much is it you want? Yeah, no bother. Sign here. There's the cash. Bye. (laughs) It's like, whoa. Yeah. They had to write write a business plan, but it was just like, yeah, this all makes sense. It all adds up. Good luck. You know? And they're just like thinking, fantastic. You know, if, you know, because of course they, to make money, it's best if you don't pay the loan back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's in their favor. Uh, But but obviously... Obviously you go on to have a hit record and you pay it off. And, yeah. So tell
0: us more about the, the songwriting festival. This is the first year you're taking it online. Tell us more about that, Finlay.
1: That was an idea that just, it kind of came to me, but I was really encouraged by Boo because I'd been telling him about my about all the teaching stuff I was doing. And he was like, well, you're if you're already good at teaching, why don't you organize something? And then um, I worked with Fiona Getty at Face Ross a lot. And she was really, oh, she was really helpful as well with just top-class advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I spoke to quite. I've spoke to a lot of people about it first, but I came up with a plan very quickly, which was eight, eight people in each class. Eight is a good number in a class. Mm-hmm. If I have four, if I have four um, tutors, then the eight people can move around the four tutors. A different thing from every tutor, and, and having someone else's input is really good. Yeah. So I got so that was another thing that I kind of got got into, um, yeah. And that it kind of that's how it that's how it worked. It worked great actually. It worked really really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first year, Dave Hook from Stanley Odds, Louis from Admiral Fallow, and Donna Machocha. Um, so that's who I had in the first year, and um, it worked brilliantly. It sold out, um, and I organised it myself. There was no funding involved. It's just me and my bank account and a laptop. Um, and it's been great, and we've had brilliant people. Um, I've had people back, but I try to change every year. And I've been the yeah. kind of constant tutor. I, I, I keep saying that I won't teach, and in fact, the one year I really made a big effort not to teach, I actually got two. You know, saying if you teach, we'll come, <laughs> which I thought was really nice. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, we're really hoping that you would teach. Do you know what I mean? Good. Um, but that was, which very kind of those mm-hmm. those those two people. That's all it took me um, to change my mind. <laughs> Uh, And I guess, I mean, the things, I'm I'm really proud of it um, and and what it's done. And a lot of people have met on it and have co-written and some of the songs have gone on to appear on albums and had radio plays. So something that started in a classroom at the Songwriting Festival has been like on Radio 2, which is brilliant. You know, and Radio 6, actually. Uh Yeah, so like some of the stuff has gone... Has really gone out there and uh, and it's just a really nice atmosphere a lot of people come back every year and the the kind of big news this year is that the the gender balance like five years ago it was mostly men mm-hmm. that went to songwriting workshops everyone i ever went to the men way outnumbered the women well it's three to one uh, women to men at uh, uh, this year's Songwriting Festival, um, and that's because um, I was talking to somebody about about it, and they said, why don't you try and have two female tutors and two male tutors and have that gender balance equal and see if, if it if it evens up. Um, and actually, it's now come the, other go come the other way, which I think is interesting because it just makes me think that that tiny amount of support, what could be done across the whole music industry, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that was – that was super easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard people that run f- heard of folk that run festivals saying that nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants to go and see a a female band or a female led band. And it's like, what would happen if you just gave it a go? Like just yeah. went for 50 50, like mm-hmm. like I did. Like I never lost any money. Yeah. It's an interesting thought. Like or what have you aimed towards that as a part of a five year plan? Yeah. Um, like what could what could happen um because there's no doubt about it no matter who you are and where you're from that support at a grassroots level which is what i think of the songwriting festival really is is people writing their first few songs uh-huh. um or people that have a few songs that are a bit stuck um yeah if there's support at that level what what what, what could it you know it could lead to really great things yeah, yeah. um
0: and so lastly, I was gonna ask you about your your TV career if we're gonna see that. You know, the last one <laughs> <time that, laughs> as the brother were you and Hamish and uh, Katie Morag and then
1: Oh that was so good. What a fantastic thing that was. But then your Gallic
0: thing as well, your Gaelic, thing, your Gaelic uh, TV Morag.
1: show. Aye, that was good as well. That was really, really good fun. It was described by someone as Marmite TV that show, found, found, found. <laughs> um <laughs> In fact, right. one of the parents uh, at the Gaelic School, um, I was down dropping Lucy off at school, and somebody took the time to walk all the way across the, pro- the playground to tell me how much they hated it. Which I thought was very nice, <laughs> and, and I don't know what they expected in response. But I was like, "I had a lovely time making that show. I, I had a brilliant time." Um, thanks. <laughs> <It was laughs> so such fun. a random thing <laughs> to see you such on. Such <laughs> I'd just like to tell you that i uh, I think your TV show's rubbish <laughs> thanks Do I have... hi I'm points of view <laughs> i I think it's rubbish I've watched every episode and it's it's rubbish oh well, that's good thanks very much Thank you. maybe you should watch something else sounds you. like you wasted your time Oof. Someone wrote I, I think it was like a three page twelve point letter about how that show was changed their um their learning yeah it's the best thing because they were totally into music they were watching found 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 and it was the the turning point from when they were like a learner to actually like grasping hold of the language oh. and understanding what was going on and so it was so for some people it was absolutely brilliant and for other people it was um yeah it was hell on earth I love the fact that that guy watched the whole episode just mm-hmm. to really get raging it's like, oh, I'm going I'm to speak to that guy tomorrow on the playground and I'm going to tell him that his show you've wasted half an hour of my life <laughs> oh I'm really oh, yeah. sorry let I mean, me buy you a cup of coffee mm-hmm. <laughs> listen
0: Finlay thank you so much today for taking the time to have a chat with me
1: catching up That was good fun. (laughs) Cheerio. Bye, bye.